Welcome to Surviving Society Presents Hidden Histories Season 1 titled Resistance and Restoration in Black Liverpool. My name is Dr Chantal Jessica Lewis and I'm the executive producer of the show. In this episode, Shelda is in conversation with Kerry Nugent. Kerry Nugent is such an impressive person. I was so inspired when I listened to this conversation. We hear all about Kerry's long-term career and activist work in Liverpool, which centres around mental, physical and maternal health, as well as the well-being of black and Asian people. As well as a clear community organiser and practitioner, Kerry is also a qualified therapist and counsellor. One of the things that this episode reminds us of is how much people power is involved in generating care and restorative praxis amongst the people we love and are in community with. Kerry is definitely one of those people and we're so glad that she shared this time with us to talk about her work. Welcome to Surviving Society Presents Hidden Histories. This is a collaborative project focused on histories and contemporary formations of empire, imperialism and slavery in Britain and the Caribbean. You are listening to season one titled Resistance and Restoration in Black Liverpool. In these episodes, we locate Black Liverpool as a site of pride, history and resistance. We feature researchers and community organisers who discuss themes related to grassroots organising, health, art and the toxic uprising. We hope you find these episodes informing, invigorating and inspiring. So we're joined by Kerry Nugent, who works as a community engagement lead for Central Liverpool Primary Care Network. Kerry's got over 20 years um, experience of working in the voluntary sector and is also a qualified counsellor. So Kerry, much of your work is around outreach, working with the community for health promotion and health activism for black and brown people across Merseyside. So can you just tell us what your daily job day to day um, involves? So we recognise the National Health um, Service has recognised that um, BAME communities are experiencing much poorer outcomes um, when it comes to services and health generally. So, for example, um, maternal, black maternal health care has been um, looked at. There's been a report recently by a group called Embrace and um, some of the uh, outcomes are suggesting that we're not getting the care that we uh, need and entitled to in maternal services. It is um, estimated that one in five black women will experience trauma and that can lead to deaths during childbirth, um, stillborns, poor care during prenatal and antenatal, that's just one issue that we're, we're looking at. There's lots of health issues that we're concerned about, especially at a primary care level. And it's great that Central Primary Care Network are looking at this as a, um, a very localised um, issue because there's nine practices across Central Liverpool and the majority of patients in all of those practices come from black and minority ethnic backgrounds. Um, so part of my role is to look at what the priorities are and how best to address them. Another issue for us, uh, African Caribbean community, is the issue of prostate cancer in our men. 
We know that statistically one in four men will be di- get a diagnosis in their lifetime. So one of the things I do is to campaign amongst uh, the locality on raising awareness, looking for symptoms, encouraging people to go for PSA testing, um, and encouraging local men to talk to other local men. So very closely with um, the Cool Black Men's Group. And they are acting as ambassadors. Um, so I've done like presentations locally amongst groups. Um, and my role is to spread the word and let people know how best to look after themselves, men in that particular case. Another issue that has come up is breast cancer amongst all women. We're less likely to be diagnosed, but we're more likely to die. So what is the the issue there? Um, It could be that we're not taking up opportunities for mammograms and getting ourselves screened. So by the time we're diagnosed, it's at very late stages, therefore more difficult to treat and more likely to experience uh, a fatality. So that's just three. So we've got prostate cancer, we've got breast, we've got maternal. But then there's also concerns around um, diabetes and heart disease. And these are some issues that we can look at a little bit differently because we tend to look at lifestyle when it comes to preventing those type of diseases. So things like healthy eating, smoke and cessation, all the type of things that will prevent these diseases are being promoted. You know, we do sessions on how to access uh, smoke and cessation uh, services, Mm -hmm. how to look after yourself in terms of eating more healthily. And what one of the things I've come up with is we do like, if we're cooking culturally, using things like palm oil, you know, a lot of West Africans use palm oil to cook. So looking at alternatives to those traditional foods and what we can kind of exchange or replace as a healthier option. And I know it's difficult for people to make those changes because stuff you've grown up with. I mean, we use lots of seasoning in our cooking. Mm-hmm. We use salt, which salt. is horrible for your blood pressure. So, you know, it's about informing people and educating people and giving people the information. And then it's up to them to you know, make these choices and try and look at um, alternatives in the diet for um, because obviously prevention is better than cure because, you know, if you, you, you've got high blood pressure, then you're at risk of stroke and um, heart attack and stuff. So what we're trying to do is say to people, you know, especially as you get to a certain age, your, heart, your blood pressure will go up quite naturally anyway. So it would make sense then to start cutting down on your salt intake Um one of the main parts of the job is informing and educating people. But the other thing is is um, challenging systems as well. So that, um, you know, if we are getting poor care, so I'm currently mm-hmm. arranging to speak with the women's hospital and see how they can, from a, a kind of leadership role, improve their, um, their care for women in the community with access and um services at the 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 pool women's so it's twofold really it's looking at how people uh, are being treated and how we can kind of improve that from a service point of view to looking at how people are looking after themselves in the community and also bringing services into the community so for example um we're concerned around breast cancer and we know that to access mammogram services, we have to go to Broad Green Hospital to get those. And for lots of reasons, finance, mobility, childcare, accessibility, 
women aren't accessing that service. So we're currently looking at bringing the mobile unit to Liverpool Lays. Now that could be at the Caribbean Centre or it could be at the Women's Hospital. They're still debating mm-hmm. on what the best place for it. Um, but that'll then then we can embark on a campaign if you've had a so a 50 women get a letter to say go for your mammogram. So then I can target women from all of the practices that I, I work for. Look at the patient list, look at the women who, who've been 50 that year, check to see if they've had a mammogram. And if they've not, we can literally target those women and um text, phone, letter, invite them to a general campaign. And then the other thing is is kind of looking at um, how we can get people to, you know, kind of demand services because lots of people are fobbed off at GP level, the primary care. So if you've got concerns, for example, you know, and you go and your doctor says, well, I don't think you need blood tests, then we can support you and saying, well, actually, you know, these symptoms suggest I need a blood test. Because we know all that stuff costs money. But if the, the government are committed to addressing these inequalities, then no doctor in the pool should be telling anyone they can't have a blood test or a PSA test mm-hmm. or a smear or any other um, screening or kind of diagnostic tool to help people get the support they need. So work to be done, lots of work. So you kind of mentioned you, what, what you're saying about is those sorts of structural problems, like in terms of access to care. And you mentioned about um, breast cancer screening being broad green. So broad green, it's about how many miles would you say is from Toxa? Probably about six or eight miles, I think. I mean, you literally would have to get two buses, a, a bus to the city. There's no direct bus route. You'd have to get a bus to the city centre and then another bus to broad green. Mm-hmm. So it's not very accessible. And if you're, you know, and then you're talking for women over 50. So things like arthritis and mobility issues start playing a part in, in that age group. For them, then I have to get two buses if they're using um, a walking stick or other mobility aid. It just yeah. puts barriers up. Mm-hmm. So are these like health disparities as well you know let's talk about the embrace report and prostate cancer and it also mentions about you know being fobbed off like people feeling fobbed off in in gps and we know services are stretched everywhere but is this something that you would say is unique to to our community to, to, to the black community in liverpool or is this like across the board what is what those health disparities in 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 black british people Basically, I'm asking, why do you think these health disparities exist? Because historically, we've not kind of had access to any opportunities, health, housing, education. It's just the systemic racism that exists goes across all of those essential services. So like education, um, we know that, you know, we're often described as, as, as you know, as underachieving when really we've been failed. The judicial system, we see racism right across the board and yes. health is no different. You would assume that health professionals are there and trained and equipped to, to help people and it would be, you know, in their psyche to want to help. But unfortunately, we're still experiencing discrimination in the workplace and hospital for being staff. They're more likely to experience harsher disciplinary 
outcomes. Um, so as much as we, we would encourage people to take take up a role and train in, in, in health, then there, then there's, you know, the issue of being a, an employee in the NHS. I, I know that mm-hmm. we've I've spoken to midwives who've left the trust because of um, issues around discrimination and, and unfair treatment. So it, it's twofold, you know. So if, you, if you've got a situation where health professionals are disrespecting other health professionals based on their ethnicity, then it goes without saying that patients are going to, you know, and, and that, you know, that could be, you know, if even for, for those who were on in, in on the same band in terms of um, status in the workplace. So nurse to nurse, consultant to nurse, you know, there's that okay. and there's that power thing going on with leads, directors, chief execs in, in the NHS. So it, it goes without saying that patients are at the brunt of that because if you've got the power as a health professional and you've got a a a, a, a black patient, an African Caribbean patient, you've got no respect for your quality, you've got zero respect for your patients and they're not getting the best service. So again, fobbed off or mm. neglect in treatment or, you know, in some cases willful neglect um leading to people um wrongly diagnosed um mm-hmm. being given the wrong medication um and especially around mental health as well the, the, that's another big issue for us that I've yeah. not even had the opportunity to to dig deeper into that in our community mm-hmm. I know there's people doing some work around that but it literally is a massive task to start looking at um health inequalities nationwide and there's lots of great groups up and down the country trying mm-hmm. to resolve it it's a piece of work because it's systemic institutionalized you know so if i can do a bit at community level in supporting people mm-hmm. um, and then there's people at policy level government level that we're working at somewhere in the middle we'll all meet and hopefully we'll get you know see an improvement in in our health outcomes Touching on the thing about mental health, because like me and you share a mutual friend who's working around mental health groups in the community. And I don't know, I just want to know your thoughts on this. It's kind of like a resurgence around looking back at African spirituality and different forms of healthcare. And I, I hear like Dr. Sebi get mentioned quite a bit. And sometimes I wonder how how useful or how what, what directions do you think they, they should take in one way i think it's great for for for, for black consciousness and, and and you know reclaiming who we are but then sometimes i wonder can that be seen as coming in place of other kinds of services that we might need in more biomedical forms of medicine i think there's room for both shoulder i mean you know once we're kind of Again, prevention is best than cure. So if you're experiencing stress, anxiety, that level of, of mental health, nothing's ever getting better without any inter- intervention. So early intervention is crucial because if it, we're dealing with poor mental health, say mild to moderate, we can prevent it getting to crisis where it is it has to be a clinical setting and it has to be a, a kind of leaving it to the system to look after us. So uh, the community-based stuff 
around specific to our culture and looking at Afrocentral model, Afrocentric models of, of uh, managing our health, you know, to prevent it becoming poor. There's there's a massive need for that because the Eurocentric models of, of counselling are, um, are obviously not meeting our needs. You know, I, I know lots of, I'm qualified as counsellor, but I don't practice anymore. Um, but I know, you know, when I, I lost my mum, I suffered a bereavement. I went to see a white counsellor and I just couldn't kind of, it didn't feel, she didn't look like me, she didn't understand my cultural background. There was just no kind of relationship of mm-hmm. honesty and trust. You know, I couldn't be my authentic self. You know, if there's opportunities in the community for people to go and talk, therapeutic relationships, are, are, they have to be monitored and there has to be, you know, because we, we, we don't want to cause any harm. But what I'm saying is at the very kind of first signs of, and we all experience mental health, whether we like it or not, day-to-day living and especially issues around race. If you're in an environment that's hostile on a day-to-day basis in the workplace, you know, and you've yeah. got bills to pay and kids to feed, you don't really have a choice, do you, but to go into the hostile environment every day. If there was a way of offsetting that stress, by meeting with a group of people and you can talk about race and you've not got to deal with that white fragility and, and upsetting white folk. It's an honest conversation amongst other black people who can get what what your experience is because they're, they're pretty much, you know, had, had similar experiences and can advise and, and share on how they navigated that, that type of stuff, you know, and we can learn from one another. So those environments around um, the model of community, looking after people in the community should be funded. You know, all too often our skills in the community are done on a goodwill because we care. But, you know, for some people, like our friend who's, who's qualified as a therapist, we don't want to kind of, you know, rock, not recognise the way people have trained and worked hard and got lots of experience and skills and to do involuntary in the community is all well and good, but there should be a route for us to be able to get paid out of the budget that looks after health. So if, if the services are not looking after us and we decide, you know, we want a portion of that budget to look after ourselves, then that's fine because we all pay towards, you know, we all contribute to the budget for health. I mean, I've always worked, so I can make, you know, I've made the contribution. So why should our community take monetary responsibility for looking after ourselves when we're paying into the system that should be looking after us yeah you know yeah so you know health should be saying if there's work in the community let's take a portion of the budget and give it to the people in the community to do the work mm. let's pay our people the way in terms of work and I don't think services, you know, they should be free at the point of access, but the people delivering the services should well, be they should be remunerated for them. You know, if, yeah. you, if you went to any service in the NHS, counselling, therapeutic service, psychiatric services, they're all getting paid. So why shouldn't we if we're delivering those services? Mm-hmm. And I think like you've hit the nail on the head, like for me, I'm always in this like balance of, I love what we do as a community and the the kinds of grit and determination that we show and you know execute on a daily basis and we have done since we've been here but also it's like but that shouldn't be if 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 everybody else in this country is getting fit you know well 
us getting access to services we've kind of identified what our issues are and we can resolve them but yeah. it's, we're left alone to do that and there is yeah. no like material resources provided no the voluntary sector works on a shoestring and it, it really is value for money i come from um a background of working with women and uh, who experienced domestic abuse women and children i managed a refuge at one point well for a long time i did and you know i've gone now into the nhs and i just see how hard the voluntary sector works in terms of because it, it, it is the public purse and you've got to be accountable and transparent and you've got to have you know everything in place to make sure you're delivering a quality service and I think, you know, it, they're only just starting to recognise the the effort and the value of the voluntary sector. And you've got to remember that these services are in the community, so they are accessible. And for, for most people, the first point of contact when they are kind of seeking support, whether that's, you know, a family who would experience issues with social services, if there's been kind of a referral made quite often, if a family, you know, a mom and a dad or, you know, a, a lone parent is faced with, you know, a, you know, your child is at risk or, you know, we need to assess you or we need to put the child on the register. There's nothing in between that family. There's nothing between the family and social services. And it's a lonely place and they've got a lot of power and lots of, our, our families don't get me wrong some children have to be removed like mental health some people will have to go into hospital to get the care they need but before it gets to those extremes we need to prevent our kids going into care because once they're in that system it's difficult for them to end up in a family environment because there's you know not lots of families want to foster our kids there's just so much in terms of community so many issues for people that you know, to, to try and, as a community, to try and manage all that without resources is a big ask of people. People tend to get burnt out, you know. Um, and then mm -hmm. if you're not getting your needs met as a worker or an activist and you're taking on the responsibility of services, they, they should be delivering to us, but we're not getting them or it's poor and then we take it on ourselves. Who's looking after us, you know? Yeah. The things around community well-being opportunities can, can can be useful because you know not only have we got people in our community experiencing poor health poor mental health we've got people who are trying to support them experiencing poor health and mental mm -hmm. health it's a lot to take on but we we can't not do it you know who else is going to look after us when you say that we can't not do it what's what's that drive What's all that about, Kerry? I don't know, to be honest with you. I just know that I couldn't not do it because what would be the point if it's like that, you know, it's a humanitarian effort by us all. Well, lots of us to say, I think I've got a soft spot for vulnerable people as well. My mum was a social worker, so, you know, looking at, and as a black social worker, she had a way of out for it because she was challenging the system as well as trying to support families in the community. You know, you see people struggling and I have to be honest and feel like I practice gratitude on a daily basis. You know, I kind of go, yeah, I've got a roof over my head, you know, yeah. um, I can make sure I've got, I've got food on the table. 
you know, my health is there, all the things that, you know, you kind of say I'm grateful for. And then you, you see people who are living in poor housing conditions, the mental health's poor, you know, they're struggling financially. How can you not help? Why wouldn't you? I don't get why people would ignore that. That's why I don't understand the Tory government. You know what I mean? I just think, how can you ignore the plight of, of the public, you know, given that, you know, we've got that little boy just recently died because of um, mould in, in the flat. In the house. You know? So I just, yeah, I think, I think, I think as a, you know, I, I might be just kind of a, on a bit of a fantasy, but, you know, I see us as, as the diaspora and black people being spiritual and given and kind. I'm not saying white folk aren't, because mm-hmm. they obviously are. But I just think it's, you know, you asked why people do it. And I just think we've got a genuine concern for our, you know, and I don't help anyone. I mean, I don't just tell black folk, you know what I mean? You know, anyone <laughs> who, who, who's in need and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of, if it, whether that's helping a girl up the stairs with a pram or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to, you know, work and put eight hours a day into working hard, I'm not going to do it for some big corporate machine. I would rather that I like to see outcomes there and then, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. If I've been able to say, you know, kind of, um, I'm just trying to think of an example. Okay, so I worked with a family who who were involved with social services and um, was able to act as an advocate for the family. And we had a good outcome. The kids were, were you know, um, the kids were safe. She was fine. She was getting support and they were out of her life. Um, and she was left to, to get on with it. So it's those, you know, and... I, I did an interview last year about activism in the community. And although I've been involved in campaigns, anti-racist campaigns, and kind of threatening the council and all the rest of the... Back in the 80s, you won't remember, but, you know, we were really active, physically active banners and banging on doors and screaming and shouting around town and everything. But, you know, now with, with changes in legislation around race and stuff, People have a responsibility, the, the, the institutions have, and they've got policies. And what we need to be doing is saying, you're not doing what you're saying in your policy. So we need to be scrutinising what the NHS is saying they're doing for our people and why isn't it get done? You know, we can go on vigils for women's safety and we can, you know, that's, that plays a part for, for public attention and keeping it on the agenda and raising awareness. But really... You know, there's 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 companies, employers, big companies, big employers, councils, education, uh, you know, universities and stuff. Who, who who've got someone written? So one of the equality diversity officer has wrote a policy on how we you know manage and address inequality. Well, let's have a look at your policy then, and that's why aren't you doing what you're saying you're going to do? So there's different methods to being active. And we, you know, we can be active on a, as an individual with another individual. You know, if I've helped a family to do whatever, okay, I haven't been threatening, you know, petrol bombs in town, but 
I've seen, <laughs> you know, I've challenged a social worker or a teacher or said, you know, to the doctor, this person needs this, you know, and then they get stuff. So yeah, challenging those things, you know, we do it all the time in our day to day. So there's different levels of, of activity and health is a big one because you can't go nowhere without it if you haven't got good health. You know, you can't you can't get into education and training and personal development to give yourself a better chance kind of managing to earn a you know a, a living or you, you can't pay for you know um your your day to day, you know, living on, on on benefits is a miserable existence. And lots of people want to be able to say, you know, I want to get out of this situation. I mean, but if you haven't got good health. No way of doing that. So, mm-hmm. and plus, we needed to look after our kids and to take up the fight against the system. We've got to be fit yeah. to keep on, you know, never ending. Well, hopefully, it would end someday. Not in my lifetime, I don't think. But we've got to keep on this this um, challenging racism. So, in terms of health, you mentioned like health a lot and like speaking to other people about theirs. But as an activist, like, what do you do, or how could others? Because how, how can how can you keep the health? of yourself because we know from like the joint projects we're involved in how burnout happens so how are activists looking after themselves health-wise I can only speak on on kind of my own personal experience and it's really important that you have a support network friends family um, and and you know isolation is detrimental to your health so if you're fortunate enough to have people who will listen then use them just to let off steam. I mean, I've got a really good group of, of female friends um, that I've had for a long time. And we're all women who have, you know, experienced challenges in our employment, raising our kids, you know, relationships. And we're honest. And, and I'm, I am really fortunate to have these, these women who I know can keep confidence, can kind of access them, you know, any time to say, let's get together and, and have a little bit of a, you know, a social and have fun and, and make me laugh mm. and all those health, uh, the, those healthy things. I've got a really supportive partner as well, which helps. And like I say, I practice gratitude because I'm fortunate, you know, that I've got um, the, the basic necessities to basically which lots of people don't have you know yeah. but yeah I'm, I'm lucky I am Sheldon really lucky I've got nice people in my life and and I've always worked in the community so I've not had to experience those hostile environments you know um going into a workplace where you you know the only person of colour and those you know minor aggressions and cultural assumptions that people make I've been fortunate that I've worked in L8 in the community for our people so I I mean and it hasn't been easy work so I have got to the point where I doing a job that was stressful I was listening to women's experiences of of domestic abuse and in some cases really serious abuse witnessing kids who've had that experience so it does take its toll on you and in the end I have to say I I can't do it no more and and that was that because I have to look after myself and because I could I could feel myself not being myself, you know, and experiencing anxiety and stuff. Again, I've been lucky. I've not had to deal with any of that before. So being kind of aware and doing lots of personal development as a counsellor over the years, you do get the skills to to recognise when you're not 
you know, running at your best mm. and then you have to make a decision. And again, fortunately, I was able to say, I can't do this new job, job and, and leave and look for another job. Lots of people aren't in that situation. So I do I do appreciate that. I, I've been lucky like that, you know. I wanted to ask you this. I think it's brilliant what you've done with the, um, the Black Women's Health Group. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could say a bit more about that. But then also I've got a little kind of observation and I want you to see if I'm right or take it back if you think I'm right or wrong. What's your opinion on it? So like in Liverpool, speaking to Alan about this as well, like there's a lot around black women historically doing a lot of organising mm-hmm. in, in Toxa. And then, you know, that black men's group is kind of a recognition of that and trying to encourage and support men to take more of a role in their community. And with your black women's health group, do you see that kind of imbalance of gender in our community? Yeah, I do. What what do you think? Well, what are we doing to rectify it? How to get black men? I think in the generally women as a gender, a kind of... There's inequalities. We know we get, you know, there's a, a gender, gender bait pay gap. We know in in our roles as as traditional carers and taking on those roles of, of lots of cases of women raising kids on their own and stuff. We are kind of managing all that. Plus, we're still finding time to organise ourselves in terms of setting up groups, even if it's informal groups, you know, I'll mind the three kids while you go and do that. And 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 lots of that goes on. And then, you know, women kind of go, we are, let's formalise ourselves and we'll start a group. Black men have been badly, badly done to because although we're managing the gender stuff as women, they're managing the black male stereotype stuff. So okay. being seen as aggressive from school as well. They, they're excluded, black males are, are excluded a, a, a terrible race in some of the local schools. they failed massively in education. And that can do a lot of harm to self-esteem and confidence. And then you're not given those opportunities because you've not got to the level of education that is expected. So you have to make a decision as a young adult, do I go into further education or higher education? So things like access courses have been useful for people who didn't necessarily get their O-levels and stuff, access to mm-hmm. higher education. They've evolved, if you like, as being the more downtrodden, the seen as a threat in the workplace, seen as aggressive. Black women don't necessarily experience it to the same level we do because we've got that angry black woman kind of tag. Stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we, we get a little bit of a a bit more leeway in, in the workplace. Um we get in and in society, we're not seen as as a threat the way our black men are. Plus they've had to deal with being failed in education and stuff. You know, there's a level of apathy as well that comes from constantly knocking on doors and applying for jobs and trying to access this, that or the other. And that you're beaten down to a a point where, you know, is it worth the effort, you know? So I can see why our men sometimes give up. The other thing is as well, those that don't leave the city. You know, you talked about Dr. Stephen Small. He was never going to reach his full capacity in this city. Yeah. You know, so they have mm-hmm. to, in order to reach the full capacity, they have mm-hmm. to go elsewhere because the, the opportunities in the world are just not there. So 
those who with the skills to to take us forward go. So you, you've got a bit of a gap. It was like when, you know, all those slaves were stolen from certain parts of Africa. There was a little gap in the development because you took healthy young people. Population. Yeah, yeah. And left a gap in agriculture or whatever other development around mm-hmm. society was important. You have to play catch-up then. So our young men now are playing catch-up because they're role models. I've had to leave to go off to do. I'm not saying all, oh, because we've got some really great active men in the city, um, in, mm-hmm. you know, well-educated, well-read. I'm really proud of some of the the, the men that, you know, uh, kind of we've got and we've managed to hold on to it, you know. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, we. I think women, because we talk more, and we get our needs met amongst each other around, you know, helping us care for our community. We we kind of then we take that and formalize it a bit better. Men are starting to do that now. You know, I've been supportive of the the black men's group. I've got them to do me prostate stuff. Women are there in the background saying, "Come on, lads, you know you can yeah. do this." One hundred percent, yeah. And I think, yeah, seeing even young, like it's and it's a mix of generations as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's something that's really, um, I don't know, quite inspiring to see. Yeah, and we've got you know some of the young lads up and coming. You know, if it's left to the Echo newspaper, they'd they'd have us down as not a bit of good, you know. But I've seen real nice examples of our young people, you know, doing well. I mean, my daughter has got lots of friends who went to university and were able to achieve academically. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, my generation, not so much. We kind of went into further and higher education as adults. Or her generation tended to kind of get their own uh, um, A-levels and then go on to uni, the traditional route. Um, And and I can see more of that, which, I mean, not, you know, obviously, you know, we're working harder in the community to make sure our our kids know the the value and the importance of education in terms of being able to further and increase your chances of having a you know, a fulfilling and reach your full potential. Um, and then we know we know there's not everyone's academic, you know, we need some mm-hmm. vocational stuff going on as well. So our, our our young people need, you know, skills in in building, pastoring, you know, there needs to be more of that uh, in terms of opportunities for, for our young people so that they can kind of go on and be in a, an honest living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the black women's group was, again, because we're caught up with care responsibilities and work and all the hours and different levels of access to to activities, it's expensive, um, childcare is an issue. So I just wanted to create a group where we could, I could promote, you know, being active and also a space, a safe space for women to talk um, and also to share information around health and to encourage people to look after themselves and get the screenings of of, um, cancer screens and stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm still, there's still, I'm still concerned about there's, there's women in our community that are still not kind of looking after themselves to an extent. Some, some of these young women, you know, they, they don't feel like they're worth, looking after 
it's really sad. You know, I want them to be, I mean, I call them all queens because they're all queens to me. But, you know, you see young women who've got, you know, childcare responsibilities and once the kids are in school, they're not making the most of of, of um, that space to maybe go and do some training. They've been failed in education, but there's, you know, there's opportunities for them to, to uh, improve, you know, the capacity to get a job and stuff. And, and they're just not, there's a portion of that that I worry about um because it's what you know and these are young women in the early late 20s early 30s who got so much potential you know and I just think you know they just need the right kind of push for them mm. to you know take mm-hmm. that first step you know we need more in the community in terms of that's why the Caribbean Centre is really important because it will be a focal point for us to say yeah. did you know you could go and do some I don't know, maths and English, you know, or mm-hmm. you can go and mm-hmm. learn how to cook healthy food or whatever capacity you can to develop, you know, access to it further and higher education. You can go and do a course there, you know, put the kids in school and go and do a couple of hours a day, get your maths and English at A-levels and get yourself, you know, nursing or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah there is a... There's, you know, we're we're doing um our best to encourage those who are not making the most of of, of themselves. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's like a fear. I don't know whether it's like post pandemic as well, but like a kind of like an apathy or a fatigue. Yeah. And it's just like, I can't be bothered. You know, mm. I just, in in a lot of areas of life, not just around what we do in the community, but like in work, mm-hmm. you know, keep hearing about the great resignation when everyone just thought, like leave this and stuff but yeah. there is it's quite there's a bit of a malaise and that's why I you know what what's going on with the Caribbean sense of not just the Caribbean all the other groups it's not just about one there's lots of groups working to get together in Liverpool to yeah. improve the life experience the quality of life of, of black people in the city but it is coming from within us from a grassroots level there's no yeah. you know no one's cheering from above saying you know we'll give you the money to do this yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i'm sure that you know given the right set of circumstances we can you know kind of promote mm-hmm. you know making the best out of your life and i mean i'm not saying that employment is the, if you're a mum with kids you know i'm working full-time that's a like, big ask you know um there's nothing wrong if if you can stay home, look after your kids, but you know, maybe even if it's learning to knit or something, just do something to kind of. But you know, I quite like the idea of. I know it's a very American thing, but you know, like motivational speakers. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Come, come and, and you know, um, whatever skill it is that you can uplift people, that would be a nice way. You know, if we could um, inspire people to to to. to you know, be the best they can be. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a dream. Man. But I just think we need to do better in looking, not, you know, me looking after you or you looking after me, but you looking after you and me looking after me. You know, taking, you know, be feeling though you're worth looking after, you know, getting your, your health checked, not ignoring symptoms, look after ourselves. 
we need to. Fortunately, lots of people, you know, um, as young people don't have any real health concerns because they're young and healthy. But especially when, you know, our community gets to a certain age and then those age-related symptoms start coming in, you know, blood mm-hmm. pressure, cholesterol, looking at our diet and all that. We just need to be more aware what we can do to prevent ill health keep ourselves safe for, for you know so we can get live long healthy lives you know you've been listening to surviving society presents hidden histories season one titled resistance and restoration in black liverpool to keep up with all our work please do follow rate subscribe and review